This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the contest to win the leadership of the British Tory party and therefore become Prime Minister after Boris Johnson leaves office has been decided. The contests had a few people involved. Penny Mordaunt was uh, one of them uh, and she came third. But the first two were uh, Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, and Liz Truss, the present Foreign Secretary and they will spend the month of August in hustings, which means debating each other in front of party members up and down the country in the United Kingdom. And also, uh, of course, they will be televised debates, the first of which I think is on the 4th of August on Sky. We're joined now to discuss what's happening in this race by Chris Johns, Chris, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now highly respected a commentator, and he joins us from London. First of all, Chris, these two have crossed swords in the preliminary debates around this contest, and it hasn't it hasn't been pretty stuff because they on the economy, which is your uh, expert subject as well, and um, they do not agree. In fact, they fundamentally disagree about economic policy, don't they? They do indeed. It's been quite extraordinary to watch them debating, not just economics, but the economy in, in particular. And you, as you well know, Eamon, they cancelled the last televised debate between yes. the, the wider group of candidates that were still in the race about a week or so ago because they realised a couple of things. One is that it just looked terrible, that these so-called blue-on-blue attacks where they were tearing each other to shreds over their respective track records. And of course, their respective track records are the government's track record. We have Liz Truss only today repeating some of those attacks, talking about 20 years of terrible economic policy in the UK, the wrong economic policy. And for 12 of those 20 years, um, they've been in government. And yes. the, the other thing that, of course, has happened is that the Labour Party has simply um, put together in some clever videos and indeed parliamentary questions and other ways, the, the remarks that the various candidates have been making about this government's track record and simply repeating what they've been saying, which has been terribly critical, has been terribly destructive, pointing out that 
not least, that the economy has gone nowhere for the last decade. Living standards in the UK are stagnating at best, going backwards, uh, properly measured. And it's been pretty ugly. And as a result, uh, at the end of the last televised debate, Sunak apparently turned to Trust and said, why are we doing this? Yes. And they agreed that they wouldn't do another one because it just it is an awful look. But, of course, it is continuing. And the, the difference between these two mean that, that they have to go at each other. It's been said that the, the differences, the, the scorched earth attacks that they're making on each other mean that whoever wins, the other will not be serving in that cabinet. And so in a way, the speculation is growing that for one of them, it's not just the end of the race to be prime minister, it's the end of their political careers. We yes. shall see. But it's pretty nasty stuff, it has to be said, Amy. Yes, and at the end of Boris Johnson's last leader's questions in the House of Commons yesterday, he uh, had a go at Rishi Sunak, but without naming him, saying nobody should ever p pay any attention to the Treasury, which, of course, is run by the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and that has been, that man has been Rishi Sunak for the last uh, while, while Johnson has been in power. But there's a more important issue here, uh, Chris. It's about Britain and where this, um, whoever wins, but particularly the favourite, Liz Truss, and she is a heavy favourite with the bookmakers, where she might take Britain. She uh, became Foreign Secretary recently, appointed by Boris Johnson. First thing she did was draft the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which is going through the House of Commons. It is a shocking bill in many ways, and many Tories don't support this aggression towards the European Union, which is really, uh, which is, has taken the form of this bill, which basically reneges on the agreement Britain made with the EU, Boris Johnson struck with uh, the EU, um, in a very rough way, and it could well lead to two things that would be pretty serious. And a hard border on this island and or a trade war between the EU and the UK. She is driving that, perhaps at Johnson's behest, perhaps not. But the point I'm getting to is this European research group, which are right-wing, very seriously right-wing people led by the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg and uh, others, uh, who are really, as you described them, memorably right-wing hacks, they've taken over the Tory party, haven't they? Yes, and she is the candidate of the ERG. Yes. And it, it, it's important to recognize her background. She grew up um, in self-described terms in a left-wing household and has made quite a journey politically and intellectually. Yes. Um, at Oxford, she was president of the Liberal Democrat Society, so she wasn't a Tory at Oxford, and she was um, a very uh, loud, outspoken Remainer during the, the Brexit yes. campaign. And she has stated on several occasions in recent days that she made a terrible mistake. It's not just that she's trying to make the best of Brexit now that it's done and, and now that it's over, as many Remainers now say that we should be doing, she's saying that it was she was fundamentally in error with her campaign for Remain. And that's really trying to curry favour with the European research group. They don't trust her, although um, they are prepared to give her the benefit of the doubt because she is the last right-wing candidate standing, or ultra-right-wing. Yeah. They're both right-wing. They're both anti-European. 
Ironically, Sunak has better anti-European credentials than does Truss. There's a famous essay emerged that he wrote, um, a very anti-EU essay that he wrote as a 16-year-old schoolboy. He has been um, a europhobe for yes. a very long time, and it's important that people recognize he is no more. This man is no moderate. Um, and it's very, very important that we realize that. So she's beholden to the ERG, and that, that's given rise to two schools of thought about the Northern Ireland Protocol, about what happens next, which incidentally is going through Parliament much quicker than we thought. Right. Um, and it, it could become reality very, very quickly. And which, it has to get through the Lords uh, where it's expected to be delayed, but they can't stop it. It's unlikely to be stopped. Mm. And the moment it does reach a certain stage during the parliamentary process, it's thought likely that that's when uh, Europe, Brussels, will start triggering further legal measures against the UK. The two yes. schools of thought are because she's in the ERG's pocket, she's the one most able to perhaps be a little bit more emollient when and if she becomes prime minister and take some of the edge off the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. I have my grave doubts about that argument. I think that she needs to uh, assuage those remaining doubts that there, there are from the ERG about her when she becomes PM, and she's going to pursue a very hard line on this bill, which, as you say, that she wrote. So I think that this trust becoming prime minister spells disaster for you in Ireland, because I do think that this bill will um, be made law, and that that will trigger a long process that will uh, quite likely involve aspects of a trade war and ultimately that hard border on, in Ireland that we, we all fear. So I am very, very fearful this morning about what actually this means for Ireland. I, there's nothing good in, 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 in Liz Truss becoming prime minister for Ireland. But there are so many other wider dimensions to this. You may have heard um, an interview that she gave on the BBC this morning. And she yes, was asked, I did. On the Today programme, yes, I did. Indeed. She, was, she was asked directly a number of very, very good questions. And one was her, her attitude towards China and her bellicosity as foreign minister towards both Russia and China, actually. Yeah. And an unnamed minister was quoted by Nick Robinson of the BBC saying, thank God she isn't prime minister because um, we would have perhaps been threatened with nuclear war because of her attitude towards Taiwan. Um, an extreme comment, perhaps, and perhaps too extreme. But this, th these are the sorts of things that are said about her. Um, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, has had some very interesting things to say about her when, when, she, when, when he met her. But the, the main difference between the, these two candidates is over economic policy rather than foreign policy. Um, I suspect Sunak will be as quick as trust to implement the Northern Ireland Protocol, actually, should in the unlikely event now that he becomes prime minister. But it's in economics that they differ the most. Britain has many, many problems, many deep-seated economic and social problems. And this trust has one answer and one answer only. She has a one-size-fits-all policy for solving the 20-year problem, or as she describes it, of, of Britain, and that is to cut taxes. And that stands in great contrast to what Sunak offers, which is a more traditional traditional fiscal conservatism. So the difference between the two candidates couldn't be greater. Um, it's It's been remarked that the campaign for leadership of the Conservative Party has shown actually the Tory party to be much more diverse than the Labour Party because we've had more women, we've had um, different ethnicities competing. But at the end of the day, to give you an idea just how diverse Britain really is, the only difference between these two candidates in terms of background, really, is that they both did something called PPE, Politics, Philosophy and Economics, at Oxford University. 
and the diversity is that they just did it at different colleges at Oxford. But their, their backgrounds, they arrived at the same place, ultimately, via slightly different routes. So they, they, they are cast from that Oxford University mould that Boris Johnson um, comes from. I think that Johnson tried to channel two, two, two other politicians, Winston Churchill and Donald Trump. He was a, a blend. Yeah. He tried very hard to be a blend of the two and didn't really succeed. He was, in my language, a bit of a pound shop, Donald Trump, to be honest. Liz Truss is try also trying to channel two different politicians, Margaret Thatcher and Boris Johnson. Johnson, as you say, is waging this campaign against Sunak because he believes that the reason why he is about to be ousted as prime minister is all down to Sunak's resignation as chancellor, and he's out to get him. His last words at, at a very graceless prime minister's questions yeah. on Wednesday this week was hasta la vista, baby, which, as you probably know, it were Arnold Schwarzenegger's, uh, the ex-actor, ex-governor of California's words in the Terminator movies. But I think that was an illusion, an in invitation to all of us to think about what else Arnold Schwarzenegger said famously in those Terminator movies, which was, I'll be back. And <laughs> I, I think I think that we haven't seen the last of Boris Johnson. I think that there are um, moves afoot in his mind, at least, to uh, be making a Donald Trump-style comeback in a year or two. Yes, and his, his final remark, or one of his final remarks, was mission almost accomplished for now. He's dropping um, all sorts of hints, isn't yeah. he? Yes. Now, there's just a, a mention. I want to come back to the, the economic and tax cutting versus tax imposing differences between Truss and Sunak. But there's something she said in that Today interview this morning on BBC Today program. She talked about the Whitehall machine. And interestingly, Johnson talked about the deep state in recent days. This is Trumpian. This is the idea, and this is what's very troubling, that there is a a deep state, that people who are civil servants, there's another way of reading that, if you take her phrase, the Whitehall machine, that civil servants who are there to act in the public interest, who have traditionally no political axe to grind, are to be are dangerous. And we are seeing in America now, through the January 6th hearings, that really the idea in Trump's mind, as in Johnson's mind, is to get rid of all the constraints, to break all the rules. And who are the rule keepers? The Whitehall machine, civil servants. He lost several senior civil servants from Downing Street, which is why Partygate erupted in, in the first place, because the kind of people who are responsible and working in the public interest wouldn't have had uh, allowed the party gate thing to to emerge. But really, the question for you, Chris, is the extent to which people like Truss and Johnson are, if you like, following Trump's lead. Well, quite clearly, he is with that reference to the deep state, yes. which is both ridiculous and dangerous. It's yeah, and the, the Whitehall machine is is from the yeah. same genre, isn't it? Absolutely, it's all from the same playbook. And yeah. it is about escaping the constraints that the rules, the laws, the constitution put on you. Donald Trump did it; he's still trying to do it, and Johnson is following the same script. Um, it's ridiculous because the idea that 
there is a deep state conspiring against Johnson and his acolytes. He couldn't be more deep state himself. He couldn't be more establishment himself. That old Etonian Oxford background that I keep talking about means that, you know, he is at the center of things. If there is a deep state, it's him. And to the idea that there is some conspiracy against him is paranoid delusion. I don't. Think I, he, I, I I'd actually take issue with with you there. I I think their attitude. I think there are people of great integrity in the British civil service, indeed in the Irish civil service. But I think they would regard him as a disgrace, as unfit for office, which I think they he which he is obviously. I don't think he really represents it. Well, I think his, his, you could make a case yeah. that he was at all the places, Eton, Oxford, and so on, but he didn't do any of the right things. And many people over decades have pointed this out, in, including the people who employed him. Yes, and I, I don't disagree with you, Eamon. My point is more that he perhaps is more, is, is, you know, his name is Alexander Boris de Fuffle Johnson. His, his, mm. his background is quasi aristocratic. He couldn't be more establishment in, in, in the way, in terms of yeah. his background. His methods, which I think is where we perhaps are discussing yes. here, are certainly not establishment methods. He's, he's taken the Trump playbook. Um, and, but there is, there is no conspiracy. His, his direct reference to the deep state was the idea that there are nefarious, sinister characters plotting to, to uh, first of all, and he said it quite explicitly, to re-deepen ties with Europe and ultimately to take Britain back into the EU. We have the leader of the opposition, who presumably would, uh, has, you know, is relevant to this discussion, saying that he would do nothing, absolutely nothing, to alter Britain's existing relationship with the EU. It, and there's certainly no suggestion from the, the main opposition party. So there's no evidence to support Johnson's uh, claim at all. It's just a convenient way to get those media headlines in the Daily Mail and uh, that, that he wants. And it's the Mail and the Express in particular who are waging this campaign against Sunak on behalf of Johnson. If yeah, I think the Mail is going big time and heading in direction, actually, I've for, and has been for some time, in heading in the direction of Fox News. In other words, printing lies, leading paper with lies, Telling lies. Lying has become. You, you always ask me about the state of Britain in, 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 yeah. in the round. And one of the things that has happened to this country, one of the many um, rabbit holes that Johnson has taken us down, is that lying has become normalized. Lots yes. of very strange things have become normalized in this country. But telling lies doesn't even uh, elicit a, a raised eyebrow amongst people these days. It's, it, it's just greeted with a shrug. It's, it's what these people do. It's what Johnson has managed to normalize. And that's one of the more frightening aspects of his legacy. Um, and, and the newspapers are, are reflect that and they print all sorts of lies now on a daily basis. Yes. And, and, and you can see it, um, in all of the headlines. Yeah, the decline of politics into the kind of dark world of Trump or Viktor Orban or whatever, the, de the decline of them is not unconnected to the decline in journalism of integrity uh, and objectivity, of course. Yeah, and so we, we actually did get an example of good journalism with that radio interview that we've both referenced already yes. with Nick Robinson of the BBC, yes. in, in which the economics of this were examined 
quite forensically by Robinson. I have to say he did a good job. And to give you an idea of the quality of the politician who is answering this interrogation, um, Liz Truss was asked directly, your economic policy of tax cuts to cure all of Britain's social, political and economic ills, is there a single uh, economic institution? Is there a single economist out there that agrees with you? Is there any current or ex-governor of the Bank of England that would agree with you. And she blamed um, all of the consensus amongst the, that economic community on institutions like the Financial Times, as if the Financial yes. Times was running economic policy. And she said, yep. there is one economist who would agree with me, yes. and his name is Patrick Minford. Patrick Minford is a 79-year-old professor of economics at Cardiff University who just scares other economists to death with his, his bad example of how right-wing ideology is used to distort economic analysis. He is an incredibly peripheral figure um, in the economic yes. community, but she, she was he is the only one that she was able to cite as supporting her economic policies. It's like somebody, uh, a climate change denier, citing the one meteorologist who doesn't believe yes. in climate change. It's exactly equivalent to that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Let me ask you now, Chris, because this is your field of absolute speciality and its economics and, and the key to this election or this contest uh, between Liz Truss and Mr. Sunak is economics. He's the outgoing chancellor and he has had to fund the COVID crisis. He funded the furlough scheme, which was, we also had here, which uh, compensated people and businesses uh, who couldn't work and all of that. 
now he is she is uh, believes in low taxation he believes now that uh, they need uh, to increase taxation isn't that at the heart of their dispute and indeed in the debate we saw last week uh, last sunday i think it got quite heated and nasty between the two of them can you explain to uh, to me and our listeners the the core arguments there that are being made. Sure. She has to appeal to around 200,000 members of the Conservative Party in the country at large, the average age of which is about 57, 58. They're 97% white. They're typically well off. And tax cuts uh, uh, definitely appeal to that demographic. And the, as you say, the, um, the government has put taxes up to fund all of the extra public expenditure that went mostly with the pandemic. And we're still suffering the consequences of that. We have two trillion pounds of debt. The debt, the key debt GDP ratio is pushing 90%. And we've had data only out today showing that government borrowing is running ahead of where it was and where it was expected to be because the financial environment has changed so much with recent shenanigans in financial markets to do with the inflation shock from Ukraine and what it's doing to interest rates. In particular, Britain's debt interest payments on its debt are shooting up as a result of higher interest rates. So, so the start, Sunak's position is, this, yes, I am a traditional Tory. I think tax, taxes should be cut wherever possible. But simply from a fiscal arithmetic, Given where we're starting from with those debts that we have inherited from the pandemic, from the level of public expenditure that we have at the moment, I have to get public expenditure down. I have to get interest payments down. I have to get the economy going again before I can cut taxes. That's what Margaret Thatcher actually did. She got the economy go. She was elected in 1979. Yes. And the first real big tax cutting budget was in 1987. It was yes. quite a while afterwards. She got the economy ready for tax cuts, and then she delivered. Um, Trust wants to reverse that. She believes that the way in which you get the economy going is to cut taxes. And I have to tell you, Eamon, this is my area of expertise. I actually worked in the Treasury, like Liz Truss, like Richie Sunak. I am ex-British yes. Treasury a long time ago, and only as a civil servant. Out of the deep state. Out of the deep state, but in a very junior capacity. And in the <laughs> 1980s, I wrote a paper for the then Chancellor, Nigel Lawson, explaining why tax cuts do not promote the sort of economic growth that mean they can be self-sustaining in the way that um, Liz Truss believes that they are. It's a complete economic nonsense. It's an old shibboleth. It, it, it's been it was it's been talked about in the United States. You might remember about trickle down economics. Yes, George, that's right. Ronald Reagan, George yep. Bush called it voodoo economics, and from yes. one, the first George Bush, and it is voodoo economics. It's pure fantasy. As the idea being that if people have more money in their pockets, they'll spend more money and generate activity in the economy. Correct. Yeah, and Sunak's response to that is the right one, which is that all that's going to do is make your inflation problem worse, given where you're starting from. Right. Um, it won't do what you think it will do. Britain's economic problems are not the level of taxation in this economy. They, they, they're all to do with 20 years of no investment, um, capital spending, both in the public and the private sector, has been running at ridiculously low levels. It, the reason why the British economy is doing so badly um, is complicated, it's it's not fully understood, but it's got a lot to do with the fact that neither the public nor the private sector has done any investment to speak of for a couple of decades. 
we can talk about Cameron and Osborne's austerity there as being a yes. big part of that. But the point that the overarching point is that it's very complicated, imperfectly understood, and some really tough decisions will have to be made in order to get this economy growing again. And one of those decisions, cutting taxes, will have no effect on economic growth. It will just be dissipated in, in, in inflation and you will end up in a worse position than we started. That's my view as a professional economist. I'm, on this one, I'm not with Sunak on many things, but on this one, Sunak uh, is right. The, the, the economy is not in a position where you can have tax cuts. But this is all about appealing to the people who are going to vote um, for the next leader of the Tory party, for the next prime minister. And tax cuts appeal to them. And that's why, that, frankly, that's why she's going to win, because they, their self-interest, the, this electorate, is vested very much in their income taxes being reduced. And that's the way it's going to go. And it means that the, the seeds of the next financial crisis potentially are being sown by a debt starting to spiral and economic growth not compensating. So it's really problematic. It, it won't work, and I do think that it will store up huge problems. And I think, you know, if I was a total cynic, I would say Boris Johnson knows this, and he knows that, that if yes. she implements all of this, it will be an unmitigated disaster. She will be deeply unpopular as a result, and the, the chances of um, her not lasting very long as a result of these policies, I think, are quite high. Right, listen, let me ask you a final question, uh, Chris. She is favourite to win. You think she'll win. I, d I personally think she will win as well. When Margaret Thatcher won in 1975, she became leader. They were in opposition, I think, 1975-76. She spent four years, I think, uh, leading the opposition. She had around her names like Michael Heseltine, Ken Clark, Geoffrey Howe, Jim Pryor, Willie Whitelaw. These were all people of substance, they were nearly all centrists, really, and Willie Whitelaw was the person she finally knocked out in the leadership contest. Liz Truss is going to have a, a terrible crowd of right-wing hacks, journalists and after-dinner speakers, and worse, people from the European research group like Jacob Rees-Mogg would be a perfect example of a a caricature of Englishness and indeed of anything else. This is very serious for this reason. I've found her interview with Nick Robinson impressive in this regard. She seems to understand the geopolitical issues of the moment. That is, liberal democracy versus autocratic rule from the likes of whoever. Uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary, uh, Putin, of course, and the Chinese. She seems to understand that. But this is where a real danger lies. If there is no Jeffrey Howe, there's no Ken Clark, there's just these headbangers from the ERG, that could pose a serious problem for Britain if the Russia-Ukraine war escalates into something worse. Well, if I was Putin, I'd just simply be waiting for yeah. um, the next British cabinet to, to be established. And th just imagine this for a second. Um, Jacob Rees-Mogg as Chancellor, um, Priti Patel as Foreign Secretary, yes. Andrea Leedsom as the Home Secretary, these yes. sorts of people in these sorts of positions of power. Uh, it, it couldn't work out better 
for the, the, the chaos that that would produce for Britain, which would suit Putin down to the ground. You then add in the midterms coming up this autumn for the United States, where we all know that Biden is going, the Democratic Party is going to do very badly, and it will set the stage for Trump's return in 2024. So the, 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 these autocrats will be laughing at us yes. at what we're about to do to our societies politically. And so it, 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 is, going, it is going to be chaos. And um, I've often quoted to you what Dominic Cummings had to say about Boris Johnson, but he's been on the airwaves this morning talking about this trust in which he gave, he talks about the nickname that he gave her when she was at the Department of Education. And she, he called her the human hand grenade. Right. And that was because of the chaos that she produced at that department. <laughs> um, it, it got to the point where he claims anyway that it, 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 it the, that the National Security Council, and you're talking about foreign policy, so this is very relevant. Um, she, she and others, he claims, were such bad leakers of what was going on at the National Security Council, which is where all of these very difficult yes. uh, decisions and discussions take place. The, the head of the security s services stopped talking at them yes. because um, because they, they, they all the contents of these meetings were leaked, and and we we just have more of this to look forward to. It is, I I think that the overarching. Uh, a message I would leave you with from what I have seen of her in action in the various ministries that she's been in. She's, she's, she's been in the Treasury, she's now the F Foreign Secretary, um, and she has been in the Department of Education. And in all three ministries, it's been chaotic. And I think that's what Britain has to look forward to, and even more chaos than Johnson bequeathed us. Okay, Chris, as always, it's fascinating to talk to you, and we're very grateful to you for joining us on The Stand. That's Chris Johns, and we're grateful to Chris to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.